Hello and welcome to 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the freelancer podcast that dissects your freelancer problems and troubles one episode at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Carlisle, and I've been freelance for about five years running my own Squarespace web design business, The Wheel Exists. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Pratt, and I run a personal development business for freelancers called Dive Deeper Development. So we're going to look at a a problem which, uh, like all of them really, are are commonly faced by freelancers, but this one really hits the nerve of what makes freelancers the most uncomfortable quite often, which is underselling yourself or underselling your services. So Katie, we've all got a story about this. Just describe that feeling. Have you ever undersold yourself? Ah, yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm a compulsive underseller. Um, So we, we were talking just before that we started this podcast about that kind of icky feeling when you undersell yourself. And I was like, no, no, I, I find it really easy to undersell myself. The icky feeling comes when you have to ask for more money. That's the hard bit. So I think for me, I almost like the comfort zone of underselling myself because it's easy and people are really happy to pay low prices. And it's, although some of my clients have actually told me that I'm too cheap and then refused to pay me and they've insisted on pay, paying me more. Yeah, I think uh, it's a good sign rather than selling yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but generally, um, yeah, it's it's that that kind of fear that if you charge more, then you won't get the business and you'll lose everything. And going back to the previous episode, the fear of failure, the fear of okay, what if we raise more prices? What if what if we're not good enough to do that? And all the questions that go along with it, um, and just how hard it is to know what to charge as well. Um, so I think yeah, the underselling thing is is very common i think if you if you even if you actually feel like you like the company that you're wanting to work with and so you feel guilty for charging them too much money there's so many reasons why you might undersell yourself but i think as freelancers and i think as female freelancers especially without wanting to kind of make massive sweeping stereotypes i do think women tend to undercharge a bit more than men do um, that's a difficult one isn't it because it's easy to undersell because you have no frame of reference if you go from being employed where your value is given to you you have a market rate or a, literally a price put on yeah, you yeah. and someone gives that to you it's very hard when you've got to decide it for yourself also if you've never run a business before you don't know what what charges there are what the going rate is what it's not comparing like we like your employee salary to your self-employed cost and I think maybe that's where people do get a bit unstuck because if they're trying to charge an hourly rate then the amount that you need to charge per hour compared to, as a freelancer, to kind of make ends meet, to cover your tax and your expenses and your office and your insurance and everything is really high compared to what your hourly rate would have been when you were an employee, unless you were on a kind of massive salary. Most freelancers charge a higher hourly rate than what they would have earned as an employee. And so all of a sudden you're, you're kind of having to, most people know roughly what the previous hourly rate is. And all of a sudden you're having to say, actually I'm worth double what I was being yeah. paid in the last place. And, and even though there's a reason why it's higher, psychologically, I think that's a big leap to take. It is, and it definitely, and I think it, it's hard, like that feeling of understanding is just awful. I know like when you first start working, you tend to pitch at the lower end of the market yeah. and you compare yourself to that. Even if you've got, you know, two decades experience you still tend to pitch down the lower end and then you find out that someone else is doing the job for more money or you found out that you've left money on the table and you just end up kicking yourself yeah. like why did I do that and it's that thing where they where they say yes too quickly and yes. you're like ah oh, should have held out for more yeah should have held out for definitely more. I was talking about pricing, pricing coaching services and I was asking someone who'd been coaching longer than me and she said um, yeah you want to get an objection on your prices she said if, if you offer, if you tell the people what your price is or what you offer them you know the, the services you offer in relation to the money she says uh, if they say yes straight away with no questions then you've probably charged the price too low and that helped me reframe like getting a challenge as a good thing as a sign of my value yeah. but I was petrified of that before she pointed that out to me so I was very grateful to her for, for helping me get it right it's it's a really tricky one and like you say a bit of guilt so I've always felt like when I worked for a company and I was given the job to sell the company services no problem I would talk about the benefits enthusiastically I'd 
you know, really enthused about everything that you were going to get the value that we were offering. But I think when it's you, we talked about this imposter syndrome, it's your name above the door. So any pushback is not just a pushback on the business or the service or the price. It can feel like a pushback on you yeah. and your personal value, not just the value of your offering, which which actually makes it quite personal. Yeah, I mean, you talk about self-worth. We often talk about self-worth in a, in a not financial sense. But when it's your business, you are literally putting a price on yourself and, and that's, you know, you are literally being judged as to whether you are worth this amount of money or not, whether people want to work with you or not, even though actually the reality is it's probably not a judgment on you. It's more of a judgment on their values and if they make sense and whether it's with a good your fit. own values. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I think even though when we first start, when we first start out, you know, a lot of freelancers use sites like people per hour and Fiverr and Upwork to get this kind of, the little kind of little jobs to keep them going. And I think because you're competing with people from other countries where the cost of living are lower, there is a, a bit of a kind of race to the bottom and there is the kind of, the, the, there's the temptation to compete, to try and compete on price with everybody else who's offering these bargain basement services or jobs or whatever. But I think that can be part of the problem because it then creates this kind of fake price, it kind of devalues the work almost. And I think there's then the risk of when you're, once you're established, once you've started charging lower rates, a lot of freelancers then just kind of get stuck in that similar kind of price yeah. bracket and almost never leave that price bracket to go up to what they should be charging. Even if you say to yourself, right, I'm just gonna charge a little bit at the beginning and then I'm gonna charge more in the future. It's quite hard to do, especially if you've got retainer clients and you don't wanna suddenly massively increase what they're paying. It's quite a hard conversation to have sometimes. Maybe we can talk about how you would handle that conversation a bit later in this episode. Mm. Um, but it's that kind of how, to, how you move from maybe you know the the reality that for a lot of freelancers you probably do have to charge a, a bit less maybe at the start i mean whether that is even the case we that's can a debate, debate that. isn't yeah. it yeah i mean that's a tricky one do you do you need to charge less it's a tough one isn't it i think you're competing with people who've been perhaps had a business a little bit longer um so then you might think oh well they're more experienced than me but then you may just be just as knowledgeable in the value you provide to the client is different so you could you could start as you mean to go on which yeah. i think if you can do it i think it's probably the right way to go yeah i think so i think if you because i think if it probably is different from industry to industry i'd say that one um you know something like something like web design where you where if you literally have no portfolio then you might struggle to get work based on somebody who has got a portfolio, not based on whether you would do as good a job, but it's just the fact that you haven't, you can't demonstrate yeah, that. Yeah. And, the, and the, there's nothing, it's, it'd be very hard to, to say with just words how you could create a good website. But of course there are ways to get around that. There's, you, know, you can create mock sites to create a portfolio for yourself and everything. So there's always ways around it. I think with something where it's very visual, having a portfolio helps. And sometimes the way to get that portfolio is by doing work for low cost or even, and this is a very controversial statement to make in the world of freelancing, for free. Yeah, for free. <laughs> um, and that that's probably a whole other episode in itself is should I do work, work for, for free? Work for free. I know that's a debate that comes up quite a lot. Mind you, we're talking about people who are quite new. I think even established people do undersell sell themselves sometimes. And I think it's a, a debate that you have with yourself every time you sell a new product or a new service. So it's not like it's something you, you have in the beginning. I do think it does follow you around a little bit. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing with imposter syndrome, it's not just a one-time deal when you're first starting out. And I think underselling yourself is quite closely linked to yeah. the kind of your, your feelings about how much of a fraud and how good you are sometimes. Um, I think, you know, with imposter syndrome, it doesn't just kind of come up and then go away. Every time you're towards the edge of your comfort zone, it comes back. Yeah. And it's, it's constantly there and you kind of have to keep fighting it away and pushing through it, I think. You do. And... We're, I mean, we're going to talk about um, underselling yourself in terms of monetary terms. Now, we know you can undersell yourself in terms of your time or your effort and expertise, so we'll touch on that as well. We're going to talk uh, probably, when we talk about uh, protecting your value, we are going to be talking about money here mostly just because that's the sticking point for yeah, most people. That's but of course, the biggest problem, as it were. Yeah, but we mean we mean all aspects. Now, Kate, you mentioned that you think, you raised the rate, is it worse for women? I don't know, it's a difficult one. Like... Uh, where, do you think it is worse for women or a bigger challenge? That's, I, that's a toughie, because men have it too. I, I hate the fact that I think it is, but yeah, I do. I mean, I really want I really want to go, no, actually, in my measured opinion, I think it's probably the same. 
I've, maybe women are more vocal about it, so I've heard more women talk about it. Maybe women have it just the same. Um, I think for women, you know, there is an acknowledged gender pay gap in the world of employment mm. and in the world of freelancing. So it's actually your frame of reference when you leave a job. Exactly. So you are used to charging less. And, you know, there was an anecdote that was going around Twitter a few months ago about a designer who'd pitched for a job and the company had wanted to work with her and they'd said, yeah, we're going to work with you. But you were up against four or five other male designers and they charged, they were quoting three times as much. We'd like to pay you what we would have paid them. Mm. And and that, that went completely viral. And I think what I've heard a lot of women say, and I to this day, I don't think I've ever said, heard a man say something like this, but, um, you know, women aren't necessarily afraid of charging more but there's a feeling that it's a bit cheeky. Yeah, maybe so a bit of guilt attached. I think there's that kind of, that maybe there's, the, the, again, it's not that women have empathy and men don't, but maybe women, again, as a society have been conditioned to think about what people would think of us a bit more. I, I don't know. I, I just feel that there's maybe a few little, I think there's a, I think there's a few little, little areas in which we've just, you know, the way that, that we've, the roles that women fall into in society and the roles that they're kind of, ushered into into society from 50 years ago there's some of that still lingers today and i think that does have an impact on how we feel we can approach clients it does follow you into into the self-employed market as well which is yeah i think there's a social penalty for women as well for people seem to ask for too much so both men and women experience that women sometimes get judged more harshly but and i think for women who are coming back off maternity leave it's a challenge as well yeah that's true i think you know people i've spoken to have said that they found it quite hard because they've been out of the workplace for say nine months, six months, a year, whatever they're choosing to take off, to then come back in and feel like they're still at the level of the people that they were kind of competing against before is quite challenging. Now that's an interesting one. Now maybe that's one for another, for yeah, another day. Yeah, yeah. I mean for today we are obviously men and women experience this. We, yeah, we, of course. I did a session called Know Your Value at an event you organised, Katie, where we did a, a, tra- a short training session on protecting your value or knowing what your value is and safeguarding it. And actually it was a good mix of men and women in the room, a fair to say all of us in the room yeah. experience this. So this is I think men just probably feel like they're, they're not supposed to say that they feel it that's uh, probably the, the, the case and, that, and that's another pressure yeah. time, <laughs> another difference but whatever your gender this is we, we've got um some good tips for you and we'll probably help you unpick this this icky yeah. feeling of under underselling yourself so like we know like you know most of us know that we're good at our jobs even if we have a few bouts of self-doubt here and there most of us know that we're good at our jobs and we've got happy clients and everything so why why do we feel bad why do we undersell ourselves like like I said, I think for me it is you are the business, so you are pricing your identity, pricing yourself. And yeah, the fear is that rejection, I think it just gets taken that little bit more personally as well. Maybe guilt if you feel like you're overcharging people. Of course, you never would want to fleece someone, but I do think there's a little fear of being perceived to to be fleecing people. And as you say, people don't always understand why something procured on a, a freelance basis is more expensive than the price per hour on an employed basis. That's really true, actually. I think, yeah, you're right. If people bulk at the price, then sometimes it's just a, a case of, of actually, you know, a bit of an education so that they understand where that money is going and why they're paying for that. Um, you know, I suppose there's also the whole reassuringly expensive angle. I am the stellar art <laughs> industry. <laughs> I mean, you, before we were talking, you were talking about people feeling bad for clients. Yeah, mm. and I think, so for me, for example, I work a lot with, with freelancers and the charity sector, neither of which are known for the fact that they're rolling in money. So I think it's very easy for me to feel bad for them if they're just starting out, they've not got much budget, or if they're a charity and they're chronically underfunded. And... And, and you know, so, so the temptation, almost every single time I make a website, there is always still a little part of me, and I've made what, like, probably like 100, 150 sites, like, since I first started, something like that. And But still, I'm like, part of me wants to go, it's okay, I'll do it for free, it's okay, it's okay. Um, I mean, sometimes charities have got funding for it, and then it's fine. Uh, but but I think you just have to go, do you know what, like, I, I set, I started my business to help people, like, yes, to make money, but to help people, you know, I could make money doing other stuff. I started it because I thought there's a need for people to have a friendly, jargon-free person to help them navigate the muddy waters of website building. Mm. And I want to keep doing that. 
And I can't help these people if I'm not charging them enough money or if I'm charging them nothing. And so for me, that's what keeps me going and keeps me from giving away my services or from discounting my services is that knowledge that it's not a sustainable business model for me if I'm not charging a fair price. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you go out of business or you just become so jaded you don't love it anymore, you're not going to be there to help yeah, those people. exactly. So. And if I have to take on corporate projects for more money that I hate doing in order to subsidise the charity ones that I'm giving away for not much money, then yeah, exactly, I'm just going to be miserable. Yeah. I like the little guys. I like working with them. And actually, one of the things that's really helped me is having a, a range of offerings for a range of budgets. So, and I don't, I mean, you know, I don't know if this would be applicable to every industry, but I can think of quite a few cases where you could create something. So I have my main products, which are the, you know, I build them, I build and design the website for you. And that's the people who've got the budget to spend on it. If people have got much less of budget, then I still have options that mean that they can get help from me to do a website. So they can pay for one-on-one training with me and we can do it together. And by them adding the content in themselves and managing themselves, it saves time and therefore money. Then I've got open workshops that I do, which are even cheaper because you've kind of got that group. Sharing the cost. Yeah, sharing the cross. So like I offer ways of people still working with me and still benefiting from my knowledge, even if they don't have the money. So I think if you're, if there's a service that you feel uncomfortable because it means you're excluding a part of a market that you want to work with because they can't afford you, is there a way that you could actually offer your services in some yeah. format to that? You know, an ebook or a mini training, online training course or something that just makes your services a bit more accessible. You know, if you're yeah. a graphic designer, could you pre-design some logos they can buy off the shelf? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's always options I think you can do. We've got some suggestions at the end of the podcast. Today, we're going to look at some very practical things you can do to protect your value as well without diminishing it at all. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think we do want to help people. But the other thing as well is that... Um, sometimes you help people by charging them more which sounds really weird um and it's taken a long time to get my head around but it definitely sometimes you help people by doing it and i think that's part for me part of the reason is when you charge people you know not not like a stupid amount but if you charge people the right amount or for the thing that you're offering i think it does make them think twice about whether they want your product and i think you then start to they start to get, okay, well, what am I getting in return? And then they start to become better buyers and they may end up getting the value that they want. Or at very least, if you're not in the right um, sort of end of the market for them, you can help them go find the one that is. But I definitely think you get a better input from your client when you charge a good amount or the right amount for what you're offering. Um, I think if you charge too too little or undersell yourself, you'll you'll attract people who maybe don't really value what you want. And we'll we'll talk about why that is as as we come into it. Um, I mentioned I uh, we did a workshop. So Katie organised an event for freelancers. We did a quick session in there about about knowing your value and sticking to it. And one of the questions that we asked people in the workshop is we asked them to put a value on themselves, and we asked them what would you charge if you knew that people would pay it. And um, we got everyone to write the answer down. So if you've never thought about this question, if you've got a pen and paper or if you're, if you're very techy and you've got a phone with a notepad on it, what would you charge if you knew people would pay it? And of course, the second question was, what stops you charging that? And that's the book question that and got that, the audible groan. Um, yeah, everyone literally <laughs> retreats into themselves. Like, ah, don't ask me that. What stops you charging it? And it was really interesting um, to hear people's responses. None of them... We had a couple of um, answers on that one on market rate. Some people said, look, practically in my industry, I think market... that What is the going rate in the market does to an extent um, depend on what I can get paid there was also the question of client budget again i think you could debate whether you then need to find clients with a different budget so there are some practicalities and we're not saying that you you should do that um you know it's it's down to two people really the client the value you want from your client and the clients who value enough whose value matches yours but i think start internally start with yourself what would you want to charge and then be really honest about yourself what stops you yeah definitely i think yeah for for me i mean i i've got a slightly I think I'm unusual in that I put my prices very clearly on my website and that is partly because I just hate putting together quotes for stuff so it's <laughs> partly laziness it's it's kind of pre-filtering so when people contact me I know that they have seen my prices generally and know they can afford me but part of it is 
because of that that fear of like 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 if I if someone rings me up and asks the price for something if I don't have a set price and I, they haven't already seen it that moment when you say the number and then there's this like it might even be like a nanosecond pause where it just lands with them and that that's the thing where where like I just have so much fear there like of like and and like what's the worst that they can, what can happen they say no thank you I mean. Like, really, that's the worst thing that's that could happen. No, no one really trashes you on price. And when we say what stops you charging what you'd like to charge, Katie, that's exactly what people will be saying, like, oh, fear rejection, yeah. I feel bad. All this, and it's true, you feel, yeah, cheeky, I think yeah, is quite a good yeah. word. Um, there's a few questions you can ask yourself. That, I mean, there's loads of podcasts and training sessions and YouTube videos about money mindset. So if you're thinking, hmm, yeah, this is the stuff that's got me stuck, I would suggest just look up books or training or videos out there about money mindset. But a few questions to ask yourself, um, which might help you unpick where that icky feeling comes from. And one of them is, where, what does money mean to you? So what's the best thing about money? But also, what's the worst thing about it too? Another thing you can ask yourself to, to really understand is, what are your metaphors for money? Or what did your parents, or what does your partner say about money? So think about those metaphors. Do you believe that money is the root of all evil? Do you think that money talks? Do you think that it burns a hole in your pocket? Do you believe that it corrupts? Um, or were you always told growing up, well, money doesn't grow on trees? Or conversely, were you told money doesn't always doesn't make you happy? And actually, have you been brought up to believe that money is not the thing you should be? It's not a desirable thing to pursue, or you feel should feel bad about pursuing it. I don't know, Katie. Did you have any? Um, I don't know any sort of metaphors in your household when you were growing up. I think. I mean, I think for definitely when I was growing up, there was a focus on. Um, getting a bargain that was a big thing in my household so actually I mean I was I was a very precocious young person and I I quite wanted to 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 manage a bit more of the household budget and spend a little bit more on having fewer things that were maybe of higher quality but I think the it was in the you know growing up in the in the 90s was the start of things becoming more accessibly priced you know imports from overseas new technology coming in and everything suddenly being available in a, in a kind of consumerist way that it just hadn't quite been so before then and so yeah i think there was this kind of this kind of getting a good deal getting a bargain buy one get one free whether you need it or not buy one get one free <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you need the second one probably not and i think there was definitely this kind of this this sort of austerity feeling of like oh we can't afford it but then spending that money on a load of tat yeah and so you get by one yeah thing. yeah so that was always my relationship with, with with money from a kind of growing up point of view and so i think that as an adult i've been i've been sort of reacting against that and trying yeah to seek out kind of quality. more like quality stuff um and 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 just kind of trying to get get to the point where i guess that's what I would like to offer as well, rather than being, oh bargain. yeah, you know, you just yeah, get the kind of bargain basement thing, actually getting something of quality and likewise trying to pay for that. But then obviously budget gets in the way yeah. a little bit. But, um, but I think, I think that's, that's definitely, I've had quite a strong reaction against that kind yeah, of Yeah, it's interesting. It shapes our bargain. values about money, doesn't it? Yeah, what about you? Well, like, I, I think, um, I, I always had everything I needed growing up, but, uh, and enough of what was good for me, uh, enough of what I wanted as was good for me. So, um, I, so for me, like, becoming a millionaire was not something that was, had a high value placed on it. It was like, yeah, work hard, do well. Be comfortable, have a good life, and um, but also talk that money is you know money isn't necessarily the root of all happiness. And I, actually, I'm really pleased for those values because I'm really happy with my life. Like I'm not one of these people who busts a gut to become a millionaire because I don't think I'd be any happier than I am now. Um, but of course, if that is your view of the world, um, then it will. You're not necessarily going to strive to be super super rich, and that's okay. If it works for you, it's great. But some of those things might start to hold you back. And um, I, I don't remember sort of growing up thinking about all the injustices in the world as well. About you know, is there enough to go around everyone? And so growth mindset is an interesting thing for me because part of me thinks, well, sometimes perhaps maybe reason why the rich are rich is because they don't, you know, because 
is there only so much to go around I suppose the rich rich because the poor are poor yeah and that's wealth creation is something I've had to think about so all these things affect what how we feel about it and I don't know if this is going too deep for some people but actually this is going to have a, a, a really big effect on your ickiness about how you that ickiness you feel when you undersell yourself or the reasons why you perhaps don't reach your value I think it also affects what um, cheap and expensive means as well so you talked about you know ensuring people get value for money getting quality as opposed to just you know stack them high sell them cheap kind of thing and so therefore cheap and expensive remember are relative terms as well so exactly yeah what's yeah what's cheap for me isn't necessarily what's cheap for you and what's expensive for you is expensive for me and so on and so forth and yeah i guess there are some industries where there is a bit more consistency in terms of this is how much you charge if you're in this industry but for some of the more especially for creative professions i think that the the scale that you you the, the range of prices is phenomenal and actually like you say you know some people come to me and say that i'm cheap some other people have said in the past oh no that's They've not said I'm expensive necessarily, but they said, "Oh, that's that's more than I've more budget than I've got available. That's more than I thought it would be." And so I think, yeah, a lot of it's just lack of knowledge because that's the thing you've got to remember with your clients that they're generally paying you because you're an expert and they don't know anything about that field. So, well, some clients like to think that they're more of an expert than they are, but a lot of clients, they don't know. So I think part of our job as freelancers, if we're working for clients or customers or anything, part of our job is to help them to understand, like we mentioned earlier, help them to understand why things cost money. And actually, if they've got an unrealistic budget, they won't necessarily do anything about it. But I have said before to a charity client, look, I'm not going to even quote for this job because your budget's really low, but I think you're going to struggle in general to find somebody that's going to be able to deliver the quality. If there's any way you can go and find a bit more budget, it's going to really help you in the long run. And you can help educate them about yeah, how to do about that. Yeah, exactly, in ways that, that, you know, yeah, again, give them options to, to do it differently. But I think most of the time, the clients don't know how much something costs. And there's that awkward, if you don't have set costs, it's that awkward thing of the client wants to know how much you charge, but you want to, you need to speak to the client first to be able to put together a price. But I don't know if we should be expecting clients to know how much something would cost. No, absolutely not. And I think that's one of the challenges I have with putting prices on websites. Probably, again, a debate for another day. One of the reasons why I don't is that I work in a field where people are not very knowledgeable buyers. They just we don't not a lot of people buy training or coaching services and again it's such a broad field how do you shop for those services and most people don't know so if you put your prices up on the website part part of me is thinking they may end up spending more than they need to or they may not be spending as much as they need to get the results they want but the only way to know to do it is to have a conversation but yeah it's it's worth remembering that cheap and expensive you may think you're being too expensive but um these terms mean different things. I know I mentioned I worked for a bank before. Once a colleague of mine was doing life insurance quotes and you know the normal quote will be like I don't know 20 20 30 pounds a month and once she had a customer and she did the quote and the, the price came up and it was something like 500 quid and she sort of as she saw the price flash up on the screen she drew a breath over her teeth like they're not going to go and she 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 grit her, grit her teeth sort of winced as she did it and went so that's 512 pounds a month how does that sound and they went brilliant sign me up and you think well why on earth would someone pay that well that person had a very specific health um uh, a health issue that just the way the product was underwritten that worked out way cheaper than anything else, and made it affordable for them in a way that it wasn't before so there was she was thinking oh my god they're going to rip my head off this. <laughs> how, how outrageously priced to her it was but to them comparatively speaking that was yeah cheap so we have to remember and i think one of the things that i've tried to do since my clients since some of my clients have done it to me i try and kind of pay it forward a little bit so if i've if i've worked with somebody and they've charged me a price then then i'll I'll pay that price but i will say to them look having now worked with you i would have paid more More than that yeah yeah so just to give them that feedback because i think you don't know sometimes and for me it was so nice for my clients to say to me no i'm going to pay you a bit extra because i think you're worth it and i so i think i you know sometimes i'll pay a bit extra sometimes i'll just say to them that you like i would have paid more and not just in the freelance world you know i've stayed at like airbnbs before where it's ridiculously cheap and i'm just like you know you could charge a lot more for this and I would pay them a lot more for this. Because I just think that's, you know, giving people that nice feedback rather than you're too expensive 
is is just as helpful but also probably a bit better to hear than you're not charging enough yeah yeah yeah, exactly so there's a few things about your money mindset another question we ask people about uh their what stops them charging more or charging what they feel that they are worth or where they undersell themselves um we ask them do you deserve to be paid what you want to charge and that um that also got people cringing in their seats so yeah what do you deserve to be paid what you what you what you want to charge and it's interesting because what does someone deserve to be paid and it's very easy to come up with a practical answer well if you create value for someone you deserve to be paid for it but we also attach deserving to our sense of self-worth so again ask yourself that question i think as well like we've been brought up i you know, certainly feel like for me you've been brought up that that um if you're if you're earning money, it has to be hard. I think there's definitely been that kind of, it's, I think it's fading out as the generations pass. And I think our generation is maybe the last yeah, one that yeah. really had that. But like that kind of the idea that like, money doesn't come for free. Again, going back to your kind of beliefs about money. Is yeah. that money, if you earn money, you need to work for it, you need to graft, you know? And like, of course, you know, I work hard, but I also enjoy it. So I think part of me going back to that deserve question is a bit like, well, it feels sometimes it feels a bit weird because I'm like I'm having a lovely time and I'm being paid for it this yeah. seems really strange <laughs> that's where I feel that that's where the deserve comes into it for me I'm like I feel like I would just do this for free but of course I need to like pay bills yeah exactly <laughs> but um, it's, it's it's those values are weird isn't it and it's like yeah you've got to work hard you've got to graft um it's, you can't you can't do a job you love and get paid for yeah, you can't have absolutely. your cake and eat it yeah yeah there is definitely that I think that's gonna be a really common one for, for freelancers yes you can't have it all yeah why not (laughs) and there's some people that are jealous as well that that's the other thing that you know if if people have kind of been tempted to do that freelance lifestyle themselves and they see that you're doing it and you're earning money then they can be a bit resentful about it and i think some of the negative comments that you get about the price that you charge actually comes from that place of resentment rather than actually a reflection on your value yeah definitely or a lack of knowledge yeah so that there's some things um you should probably know about value so we've talked about how we feel about our own value and the mindset and some some questions to ask yourself and also some of the emotions or your identity that comes into the mix and it's very very hard to see the wood for the trees but if we take our that emotional bit or we can get over those emotional barriers um or that cheekiness or that ickiness we're feeling there's a few things we should bear in mind about value and I'll just go through these quickly. I think, first of all, value is in the eye of the beholder. So it's about what your customer perceives is good value. That doesn't mean you always flex or um, go down to what the customer price the customer would pay it's probably more about finding the customers who share your notion of what value or a good job looks like but value is it the question is it's not that you if someone rejects you it's not that you're not good value it's just that you're not good value for them you may want to go and uh, fish in a different pond and find (laughs) the people who share your view all value is a perception and it's normally a comparison usually relationing to time money or what someone as an individual values so if you're trying to sell your services and you don't want to undersell sell yourself really speak to what um, your services will help do someone do in relation to their time normally saving it money making it or saving it or the thing that they really value which is the normally the avoidance of some sort of pain we talked about negativity bias before so if you didn't do what you did what problems would your customers still have conversely when you do provide your service or your products what uh, are you giving your customer in return so it's probably going to solve a problem for them or help them aspire towards something they really want i know i found that working with you michelle when you know we've had our coaching sessions and i'm going to tell you live on air i would pay more than you charge me oh no committed <laughs> myself to it right now, now i've got to go back and <laughs> charge more but you know working with you doing the coaching with you it pays for itself really quickly because it just helps me get that much more focused and you know I can literally tie it to my bottom line I bring in more money because of our coaching sessions I'm certain of that but of course if you didn't know that in advance that's the trick it's hard to know that you will get that benefit of it so I guess that's where the kind of social proof in inverted commas comes from you know the, the testimonials the word of mouth and getting other people to actually advocate for you and that can almost be more powerful than anything to do sales pitch yeah Yeah. exactly so that's another thing if you're struggling with underselling yourself and you want to charge more but you're finding it hard to get people to actually pay that amount can you get other people's testimonials can you get other people to advocate and be ambassadors i suppose for you to actually then get the get that 
you know, get that price yeah. seeming like it's going to add that value because sometimes it's yeah if they don't know what they're going to get out of it and if they're not if they can't guarantee what they're going to get out of it they're less willing to spend it but if they can see a pattern of other people doing it then yeah that can really help it's definitely i did i've had that with coaching and things before where you you think you work out how much it costs and you see yourself further down the line you think if you told me a few months ago that if i paid this money i'd get to this point would i pay it and you're like yeah i'd yeah. pay more but trying to articulate that to people you say it's really tough yeah. and social proof could be huge to hear say oh people like me got value from this yeah and that's how you can create it which is really interesting um and definitely worth looking into um Another one, Katie, and I, this is, you know, we talk, touch upon about doing things for free. And I think that cheap and value for money are not the same thing. And free can be dangerous. It can also be construed as worthless, which is a bit of a problem. You can put yeah, yourself I mean, in the bargain basement, couldn't you? If you've ever tried to run a free event, uh, you'll, you'll know what happens if things are free. People do not put a value on it. And, and generally, you know, if, if 50% of people that are registered actually turn up to your free event, you're doing well, it can be worse. It can be better if there's enough demand for it. But generally, if people haven't made a financial commitment, then they haven't made a commitment, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is what I was saying about you can... You can help your customers by charging a bit more and help them shop for something that's really going to be bespoke and, and works for them like you say the workshop one i run a free workshop for a client the other day 40 signups we've got about eight on so um you know if those other those other people that didn't turn up um the 32 of them um they didn't put any they don't have any skin of the game so they didn't yeah. put anything in Therefore, they had nothing to lose by not turning up. Now, you might think I'm doing a good thing by charging people nothing for this value, for this workshop, for this service. But the thing is, people uh, pay for what they value, but they value what they pay for. So if that workshop, for example, had really great knowledge, would really help your ideal customers get out of a rut or solve a problem, you've done them a disservice because had you charged, had they put the money down, you can bet your, bet your life, even if they were sick, they would probably have turned yeah. up. They would have got the value. They would have solved the problem. So you're really a bad person for underselling yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you rob the world when you undersell yourself. Yeah. But of course, there is a place you know, for, for things. Of course, of course free, there are. You know. Sometimes that works perfectly um, as but, well. But yeah, it just bear that in mind. If you're struggling, that could be one of the reasons why. Yeah, and you can attract the wrong kind of customers as well. If you if you charge cheap, you attract skin flints, really. <laughs> and people who maybe wouldn't mind the service but don't really value it. Yeah. But also when you're doing a service, whether it's coaching, whether it's personal training, whether it's anything like marketing or branding for someone, um, they want a good outcome. And unfortunately, if they go for the cheapest end of the market, they're not gonna have that problem solved. They're gonna be wasting money as well. So you wanna attract people who are really willing to invest because people are willing to invest, they'll do the work on their end. And if they yeah. do the work at their end, then you will be successful. And if you're successful, you're worth the money and then everybody's happy and that is great value. The problem is if you attract people that aren't really that bothered, then they're not gonna put the work in. Then you are going to do a bad job because you couldn't have done you it. You haven't got the input that, from them that you need, especially if, yeah. if, again, going back to the creative or the coaching stuff, like, yeah, how bad are you results. gonna, yeah, how are you gonna work with, very limited amount of information and if they're not putting the effort in or willing to commit and invest then you're going to do a bad job and if you do a bad job you're going to get bad reviews you're going to more importantly you're going to feel pretty rubbish you're like oh why didn't i do a better job of that well you were never going to so it's a difficult one so be careful about pitching yourself think about supermarkets do you want to be in the waitrose end <laughs> or, or even the harvey nicks end or do you want to be in the you know in the little audi wilco end and there's nothing wrong with that by the way if you're pitching at the lower end of the market and that's where you've you know your part of your plan is that's where you're pitching fine it, the problem comes of course when you think you're sainsbury's and you maybe you've gone for a bit more asda not Dissing anyone's choice of supermarket, by the way. I, <laughs> I shop in every single one of those, except except Harvey Nicks. I don't really shop there. Um, so yeah, so be careful where you pitch yourself. Like you said before, Kate, it's very hard to elevate yourself out. And I think if there's every, if, if a lot of people, especially in an industry, are all stuck in that point of charging low, it's actually harder to get out because if, if everybody is charging that price, how on earth do you compete? So actually, you know, in some industries underselling yourself is actually doing a bit of a disservice to other freelancers in that industry as a whole uh, you know i have seen kind of pleas on twitter before with people going 
creatives, designers, please don't charge so little because it makes it really hard for the rest of us to charge the right price if yeah. people are underselling all the time because it creates this false perception of what that service costs in the client's minds and it creates a, it makes it harder for for people to do for, for it makes it harder to kind of win those clients round to the fair yeah. price i'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty if they're charging you know if, you, if you're starting you out it. and you need to make <laughs> a living charge what you need to charge to pay your bills but if you have if you're able to charge a bit more then it can also help other people in your industry I, I think. think it's really important I was talking to I don't know if I mentioned this with the one where we talked about what to charge but um, I had a pe- painter and decorator come round and I was looking online for painters and decorators and just saw loads of forums where they were saying um, that um, if you go on the price comparison websites for things like painting and decorating um, there's lots of people on there who undercut other people and charge a low low price and the problem with that is there's a, a race to the bottom and everyone's competing at this very, very low price to the point where the people who do a quality job can't afford to do work at that price. And they're looking at going, well, how can they do that work safely? How can they do that mm. job thoroughly or properly? If you're charging that amount, you're not covering your costs. And so all that you get left on these, these sites is the people, yes, they're charging a low, low price, but there's no way they can either do a proper job or do it safely or with appropriate assurance. Um, and the people who can are priced out. So I, I think there's a, like you say, there's a risk to the industry as a whole. So if it helps um, you feel better about what you're charging, it's probably a good thing to be charging with the people who do a quality job. And not just the money, but the association with you, your brand, your value. You want it to be with the good people, yeah, the, the respected people. Not necessarily the superstars, but the pitch it where you want to land it, basically. Yeah. And our friend Mark, who does web development, always says that uh, you know he says to clients you can ha- you know you, that you've got good fast and cheap and you can have one maybe two of those but you can't have all three absolutely <laughs> which i think and he, he says that to clients and you know so yeah if, if you want to pay less if you've only got a smaller budget maybe there's an option where you actually give a slightly smaller service to the client rather yeah. than trying to fit the larger service into that smaller budget so it's you know so i say sometimes okay if you can't afford it then if you do the content yourself then i'll do the rest of it yeah, and, you know that that sort of thing. Uh, there's a few ways of doing it. So, so look, we talked about imposter syndrome and the fear um, in one of our very first podcasts, actually. So, Kate, let's go through some top tips then for for maintaining your value. Um, give give us a give us a few of your ones. I'll share some of mine as well. I think one of the things that 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 I think is is I've heard a few people say and. I've kind of played about with it a little bit and I can kind of see how it works, but I, I really I really like the idea of adding value rather than discounting. Yeah. So if if rather than rather than being the kind of the DFS of the of the world where actually this is a fake price that no one trusts because you're always just reducing it. Half price sale. Yeah. <laughs> um rather than actually reducing the price, how can you add value? So um I think you. I think you've mentioned something before about comparing how 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 people compare prices. Yeah, like a reference point. Your yeah, that's is. right. So so if people can say, okay, well, actually, for the same amount of money, I can get more things. Then that is actually better in terms of your own how how they perceive your value than if you discounted it and they got less. So if you can, so for me, example, for example, it's X amount for website training. So for the website development, and then the clients can either have a, a website training video, or I can do face-to-face training with them, or Skype training with them. So the video is free, and and I and I I have that as an as a, I already always say you get free video training, and then the added value is the the face-to-face training. So so if I want to if I wanted to say, give them a better deal for whatever reason, rather than discounting it, I'd say, okay, well, let me throw in the face-to-face training for free. So I'm adding that value and making them feel special rather than saying, okay, well, actually I'm gonna charge you less in yeah. total. Because it's not much more for me to do that training stuff, but for them, it feels like they're getting something more. So they get it. more, well, you get yeah. more, and you get to spend your value and they get more as well. Yeah, whereas I think discounting implies that you are, you are sort of worth less big space in between those yes yeah, not yeah. worthless I think, I think it's so true i think one of the, the golden rules for me i think is always stick to your value so never never justify it so people you know you can always break and i'm not saying don't explain your charges break down what you charge but if you say this is the amount i charge for my time 
you don't I don't think you have to justify that you could say that this is my price there are many people out there in the various price ranges this is what I charge and this is the value I believe I bring but never ever never ever justify it but also never ever back down on it either like Katie said you've got a number of uh, options I think you can add value like you've just said I think that's a better option I think if uh, or you could offer um, you could bundle products or services Katie's just described or you could also if you are going to discount I think there just needs to be an exchange of value so if you do apply a discount do get something in return if it's not the money so um, is it going to be is it that you're running a pilot workshop or a pilot product and you're going to charge less because they're going to test for you but in that case have a really clearly defined expectation of what feedback you expect and how, how you want them to put it how you want them to do it i saw a girl uh, on a freelance web page she was testing out a new service she was doing it for free but she said how many hours she wanted people to put in and what the expectation was from you and she said this is what you're committing to if i do this for you for free and that was genuinely valuable to her because she got what she needed to refine her product and the people doing it had some skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. So, or yeah. if you're discounting, you know, if you refer me to a friend, you get 10% off. Yeah. You're getting that net benefit from that. You're not just discounting it and then never seeing that money again. You're actually getting, a, you know, you're some... getting a secondary income from that. So it's worth doing that. It's, it's you know, would you discount 10% in, in exchange of having to pay for Facebook ads or whatever? Yeah, probably. So there's definitely times when discounting makes sense. Definitely does. And also as part of a sale or promotion, you can say, look, I'm discounting, but for this reason, and here's the time period, mm-hmm. um, you can do it to get rid of stock. You can do it to get rip up a bit of excitement. You can do it for because you're practicing. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, but always put a reason on why that discount is happening. Even if it's a loyalty bonus, just so people know what the discount is for so they know your value and, and what it is in reference i think a problem i'd probably say you mentioned it as well katie just reduce the offering so if uh, your value is the same but if they can't afford the monetary value do you reduce the offering so i can't afford what you're charging for this service okay well what have i offered a half service if you're happy to do it yeah definitely um or or you know give them if, if if it's if it's a cash flow rather than a value issue and you can manage it with your own finances you could give them flexible payment options yes or, you know say like okay well let's let's start with this and then once you've had a chance to kind of get a bit more funding together we'll move on to this so i think there's definitely ways of doing it you know sometimes i end up just making a little holding page for clients because i can tell they're just nowhere near the point where that they need to be to be ready for a full website they just haven't got the time to put they want to put the work in but they haven't had the time to put the work in but they still want something to say look i'm here i've got some credibility i'm a real business and so then yeah it's just kind of okay well let's just put together a really simple holding page whilst you work on the rest of that stuff and the way i do it is i say if i'm going to do a holding page cost say 100 quid if they then use me, they get that money off the final exactly. bill. Yeah, yeah. So it's an incentive for them to then get that money back. So it's a free holding page, but only if they then go on and work with me. So it's an incentive for them to keep putting in the work. Yeah. So your value stays the same, but you do, you keep your value, yeah. but they still get what they need as exactly. well. So and you still get to do business. We're not saying don't do business with yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. There's got others as well. I mean, we joked about Stella Artois. I think it. I think. Um, making sure you charge the right value stick to your value i think you make it part of your brand as well so i think it's quite nice to be known as the person like she's not she's not the cheapest but she is good yeah yeah exactly and when people say that about you that is like that yeah (laughs) as well um and i think it's almost linked to that is actually sometimes i think you need to be willing to walk away because if it's going to damage your brand working with somebody that doesn't value you then that's going to have more than just a financial short-term impact and I think sometimes there's nice ways to walk away but sometimes you do need to do that so sometimes you know I might say oh well actually that's not the project that I would take on but here's another web developer that I think could be a really good fit for you yeah there's really nice ways to, to do it without burning any bridges but I think it's sometimes a false economy to take on that work that you know in your kind of gut isn't right and you know is maybe you underselling yourself and that's always the project that ends up being the most difficult one or inevitably. Oh, it's always the one that takes more of yeah, your time is the yeah. most difficult i think you're so right sometimes you can just say look this is why i charge this is what you're looking for it looks like we're not in the same place right now but let's you know let's yeah. keep our conversation open maybe we can help each other in exactly. the future and actually one of the things you could try is a skill swap so that's something i've done before so if 
if they haven't gotten the money but they've got a skill that's useful so for example if I was wanting some photography done then they could do some photography that would help me for my website and in exchange I would do work on their website website. I think that's fine and and I quite like that kind of you know the that that sort of sharing economy stuff um because you're then getting an exchange of value it's value in value yeah yeah. both people get to protect their value because they've both got something tangible in return exactly and I also did get paid in cheese once and that was amazing (laughs) or charging cheese (laughs) but again you got great value and I know how much you value cheese I do value cheese a lot (laughs) so we've talked about why we undersell and and what makes us do it and what we can do to stop it what would be the one thing we always say at the end of the podcast what's the one thing that you would kind of have say is the biggest takeaway that people can do what's the if they could only do one action what should people do uh, i think yeah trying to pick one without chaining lots together I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, cheating yeah i know i would probably probably say think go back to some of those mindset questions think about what you would like to charge what is your time worth to you not the figure you ought to charge but what you would really like to and you think that you're worth what i would say is pick that and go with it stick with it we haven't really covered this but i'd say practice it so if you're happy that you know you've done your thinking you're done reflecting you're happy that is where you want to be pitching yourself then i would say stick to it ask those mindset questions and practice saying it in the mirror and practice talking about it to other people and uh, front it out if it feels weird so if you wince when you say it it's not going to be congruent <laughs> but practice it in the mirror practice it with a friend yeah you don't need to be like if I could possibly trouble you for maybe there's some sort of problem with pearls I mean <laughs> I charge this much yeah. yes what about you um, I think for me I think what's helped me the most is, and actually one thing I haven't mentioned is tracking your time is a really valuable way to work out how much you should be charging because sometimes you work out that you've not got enough hours in the day to charge the amount that you're doing. Yeah. But that isn't my tip. Um, What's been the most useful thing for me is working out the kind of clients you want to work with because then the money conversation becomes so much easier. Yeah, When you've got a client that's a good fit for you you and you get that kind of, that you know you, they can tell you can tell it's just so much easier to have that conversation because they trust you it's not even a conversation yeah is, exactly yeah. they're just kind of they're already on board and the money is almost a bit of an afterthought as long as you as long as they've got a kind of ballpark figure and you, you both know roughly that you're in the same place it's yeah it's that's the thing I think finding the right clients that appreciate what you've got to offer and that you know that you can deliver a really good job working for them yeah I wish I'd pick your tip now because <laughs> I've had that when someone goes how do I pay you or well should I tell you what I charge no no, no I'll just send you some money I'll just send you the money like <laughs> there's no like you say it's not even uh, a question it just takes the awkwardness out of it I think no because you're both because it's know that you're in the right yeah, place yeah yeah exactly okay listen to Katie's tip <laughs> always listen to me I'm super wise well I think that's all for today uh, remember you can say hi to me Katie on Twitter and other social medias at The Wheel Exists you can say hello to me Michelle at Dive Deep Dep D-E-V-P short for development uh, on Twitter as well let us know which uh, problems or issues you'd like us to tackle in the future too and to make sure you catch our upcoming episodes subscribe to our show wherever you listen to your podcasts well, we'll see you next time on 99 Problems But a Boss Ain't One